number one, it is not one of, it is the number one cause for low sexual desire in women is actually dissatisfaction in your romantic relationship. Wow. Well, if you have, you know, you have a high desire partner and a low desire partner, if your high desire partner for sex in the couple is not having their sexual needs met, then the person that's the low desire partner for sex and is high desire partner for emotional connection, then the the high desire partner for sex will become the low desire partner for emotional connection. And this mm. polarization will start to happen right. like a teeter-totter. So each is withholding because they don't feel like they're getting their needs met. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is the mother of functional sexology, Dr. Keisha Ewers. Dr. Keisha is the founder of the Academy for Integrative Medicine, an integrative medicine expert, doctor of sexology, psychotherapist, board-certified functional medicine provider, Ayurvedic practitioner, and medicine woman. She is also a popular speaker and best-selling author, as well as the creator of the You Unbroken online program for patients to heal their own trauma. And she leads the Mystic Medicine Deep Immersion Healing Retreats at our home in Washington. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for a free gift from Dr. Keisha. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. I'm so happy to be here. So today I have a special guest. I've been waiting for a year to interview you. We were on a sex panel together, you guys. This is Dr. Keisha Ewers, who is a PhD, but is uh, known to the people that I know that know her as the sex doctor. So she's going to tell you more, but I just wanted to say that I was on a podcast panel with her. We're, we're both here at Paleo FX, so we're doing this interview in Austin. We were on a uh, panel uh, discussing issues of sex and relationship and I really thought your commentary was very good. You know, I'm like I'm. I look into all these things very deeply because of the nature of my work. So I'm I'm listening to everybody's viewpoints, and usually I can say, okay, that's you know that's what you think when you're 30. That's what you think when you're 40. That's what you think when you're 50, and your mind is open. And so every time you spoke, I thought, wow, she's really got her shit together, so to speak. <laughs> you know, she's not she's not uh, stuck on one side of the fence or the other. So. Thank you for uh, your wisdom and your willingness to share with me and my listeners. And um, I'd love it if you could share a summary of your background and what led you to becoming a uh, PhD that specializes in issues of sex. Yeah. It's a, you know, like all of us, we all have our own story about what brings us to, I always say necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yes, it is. So I started out as a nurse, Mm -hmm. completely in Western medicine. Mm -hmm. And then one day I always say, like my patients will say all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? I got sick, which of course had been going on for years and years and Mm -hmm. years. And then finally the boat tipped. So when I was 30, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. At that point, I had four children and uh, I was married. And with my RA came low libido. Mm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, once your life force vitality starts to ebb, we start thinking about sex as a an entity all by itself, right? right? Instead of this life force that vitalizes Mm. all of our cells, right? right? And so... Mm. 
as I was looking for answers for how to, I wanted to cure my RA, not just like what the doctor told me, yeah. come back when you're sicker. Right. <laughs> and yeah. we'll give or you more medications. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll give you some more repression Exactly. And I said at the time, is there anything else I can do? You know, I'm very disciplined. I run marathons and I mm. cook all my food from scratch. I'm very healthy. Mm. What I'll do anything that I'm told, you know, that, that is in line with that. And she said, oh, it's genetic because your grandfather, I had told her, had RA. Mm -hmm. So close the book, put it on the shelf, you know, this is it. Yeah. Come back when you're worse. Yeah. So as I was going home, I was thinking about the drugs that I had prescriptions for and that I didn't want to take them. There mm -hmm. must be a different way. And so I started going on the internet and asked those, you know, in those days it was Ask Jeeves. Mm. Remember the days of the dial-up modem? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember even when faxes started coming around. That's right. Yeah. So I got onto my dial-up modem and asked, you know, went into PubMed where we keep our medical research. Right. Is there anything else? And I found an article on yoga and autoimmune disease. Neat. I had not been exposed to yoga. In fact, I told my running partners the next morning, this is how conservative I was. I lived in Utah. I was very conservative. Mm. And I said, I've never hung out with people that chant before. I'm a little anxious. Mm. I, it's just amazing wh what this journey has done. So I started, went to my first yoga class, started learning about yoga, meditation, Ayurvedic medicine, Jyotish, Vastu, all the Vedic sciences, mm -hmm. really deeply immersed myself in all of those. Mm -hmm. And started thinking about disease as a different way that we do in Western science, where we think of it as its own, again, yeah. it's this box that's over here, and we have symptoms to suppress, and that's all we deal with. Ayurvedic medicine kind of blew that open for me. And one of the things that I read in some of the literature was autoimmune disease is undigested anger. Mm, very beautiful, yes. Yeah. In my system, I teach all my students this motto, we never coach the disease, we never treat the disease that has the person, we coach the person that has acquired a disease. Right. Then imbalance, right? Yes. So I started learning that, oh, this is just feedback from my body. Yes. Instead of something that has to be suppressed and instead of trying to get out of my suffering as quickly as possible, sit with it. Mm -hmm. It's another thing we're not really comfortable with in our society of no. really being with discomfort. We've been socially conditioned to right. think it means that you have a drug deficiency. Right. I started realizing that's not the case mm -hmm. and was, you know, started getting all these downloads mm -hmm. and in meditations. And it was really interesting because, you know, one day I started thinking about this word autoimmune and I thought, well, mm -hmm. I'm doing this to myself. There's actually no one out there or right. no circumstance out there that I can blame, right. which of course we try hard to find, right? Of course. Yeah. And <clears throat> started saying, well, then if it's me, there must be something here about when I wanted to actually die for the first time. Because mm. autoimmune means I'm killing myself and I didn't mm. want to actively die in this moment. There must be somewhere that I told my cells mm -hmm. that I wanted to die. Yeah. So I started tracing, kind of following this little golden breadcrumb trail backwards in my history. And I came upon this 10-year-old little girl version of myself that has been was sexually abused by the vice principal of my elementary school. Ah, well, that's very interesting. We're going to get into some of that. Yeah, and that's when I said... Well, that's very interesting. That must have some connection. Yes. And of course I wanted to die. I could feel that, like that despair and that hopelessness mm -hmm. of that 10-year-old version of myself. And really, like, I can't understand what's going on in this world. I can't trust anybody around me. What's, you know, I really want it out. Yeah. And so we now know from, you know, several studies that it takes about 20 to 30 years for an autoimmune disease to completely generate to an actual disease process. Mm -hmm. Ayurvedic medicine calls this 
six stages of disease development. Yes. And so I thought, okay, this wasn't all of a sudden. This has been going on for a long time. So what I started doing was really working with that life force vitality, doing trauma work, rewiring my brain, mm-hmm. you know, and really listening and getting, I always say now autoimmune disease is a combative relationship with yourself, Yes, getting into a collaborative relationship mm-hmm. with all aspects of my being. And again, Ayurveda talks about five layers of us, you know, our physical structure, then our energy body, our mm-hmm. mental, our emotional and spiritual. Yes. I started getting to know all those is, mm. you know, these aspects of myself that were, went beyond the physical. And so I then went back to school after I was able to reverse my RA within six months to do this for other people. And, and when I opened up my own practice, I started having these people come into me and ask me for hormone replacement mm-hmm. because of low libido. Right. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's another symptom to medication. So I started asking very simple questions like, okay, so how long have you had, you know, a sexual desire that you're not happy with? Have you ever had one? Oftentimes tears. Yes. And I would say, you know, estrogen and progesterone and testosterone are not going to fix that, you know? Or do you like your partner? Yes. What a concept. Right? (laughs) Tears again. So often. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school and got a PhD in sexology with this emphasis on Really looking at what the impact, the study I did was called the HURT study, Healing Unresolved Trauma, the impact of held on to HURT Mm -hmm. on female sexual desire was the name of my study, Mm. came up with the HURT model and really started saying, look, you know, this is, this is not a hormone issue the way that everyone wants to think about it. Yeah. And sure, you're, you know, I gave a talk today at Paleo FX, your hormone bucket starts to lose its juice as the, as you age, but you have other systems in your body that take over if they're intact. Mm -hmm. But if you're always in fight or flight, you know, then they're not going to be intact and then you're going to be left with nothing. So we have to get to that, you know, fix the hole in the bottom of the bucket. Yes. Yeah. And I actually <clears throat> show in many of my slides shows what I call the stress bucket. Yes. Which shows that we have physical, emotional, uh, we have nutritional, we have thermal, we have electromagnetic, we have six key classes of stressors that we all need enough to grow. But if we get too much, it actually right. debilitates us. I'm curious though, you mentioned that when you got the diagnosis of RA, it was causing a disruption in your libido. Uh, Did that start coming back as you implemented these Ayurvedic strategies? Yeah, so that's the thing. When we're in pain, you can call these sort of vulnerability factors, right? The more vulnerability factors you have, the less that you have of your own life force vitality to give to intimacy and yourself or self-care and relate. So people in chronic pain have a difficult time doing what we ask them to do until they get underneath. Why is it here and sit with that? What is it here to teach me? Right. So as I started doing that, then my life force started to come back and Mm -hmm. there went, I call it your libido level as a way of really checking in with Ayurveda, it's Sanskrit, ojus is the word. I call it ojus, mm-hmm. right? So if you have enough ojus or life force vitality, then you've got a libido level. Whether or not you want to have sex with that energy or not, yeah. it's for you to live your life mission. So what's your, mm-hmm. what is it that you're passionate about? Yeah, well, the second chakra, a lot of people think it is all about sex, but I have to constantly remind them, though, that 
sex energy is the basis of life force energy. Exactly. And your adrenal glands are usually mirroring back your overall management strategy to right. you. And it's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Spiritual here meaning connecting to a greater whole. But as you know, as we become more stressed and more unhealthy, as a survival reflex, we're pushed back into ourselves and ultimately we, we become codependent on others to support us because we can't take care of ourselves. Right. Or so, we think we can't. Right. Yeah. And, and because sexual engagement with another is a we activity, the body says, wait a minute, you have to take care of yourself first. And so when I see especially males going out and jacking their testosterone, doing all sorts of things to improve their uh, sex, i.e. sex copulation energy, right. but they don't realize that their body's shutting that down because they need to look carefully at how they're managing their overall flow of energy. They end up, you know, doing things like testosterone or Viagra, but they don't realize that they're actually pushing themselves deeper. Right. And, getting closer and closer to a crisis that is of a significant proportion that those supplements or trick, uh, you know, biohacks won't fix. Right. You know, and the opposite is true too, along that same line where you see in spiritual communities where people have renounced sexual activity mm -hmm. in favor of enlightenment, right? Yeah. So they're, they're actually separating sex and the sacred and that paradigm is very dualistic yes and fine like if that's where they are in their development mm -hmm. but a lot of times you see people that have made that choice also kind of like these hollow husks where they don't have any ogis yeah they, they don't. don't realize that in order to have that goal that they want of enlightenment and unification with the divine that they think is outside of them they actually have to have that life force vitality there right in mm -hmm. order to manage it so it's really fascinating for me to be like in spiritual communities or communities that are doing all kinds of biohacks like this one or, you know, in, in these different places where they don't understand that energy and life force is actually necessary for any of this to occur and mm -hmm. you can't get it from the outside. Yes. So. Yeah. I mean, you, you can get, I mean, food, of course, is what I call external chi. Right. We breathe air from the outside. Prana. Yeah. Uh, there, sunlight, um, water, meaning, you know, whether it's drinking it or being in it, like a, a, the effective use of hydrotherapy, water therapy, bath therapy, those can all be uh, external sources of chi, but it's really our own um, internal chi management. Because if you're in a space where you think that you are depleted, yeah. right, and sick and therefore you have to have that in order to make it okay the place that you're eating from mm -hmm. actually doesn't allow you to assimilate the nutrients right is stress stress yeah if your stress levels are high it's mirrored through all your systems exactly. including your digestive so i system. say like all of it has to happen between your ears first yes yeah and then then you get you lay it's like planting a wonderful garden you know you've got to have the the soil nice and healthy, and then you can put your seeds in, right? And then you can get your harvest. So it's a kind of a fascinating thing where people run around from doctor to doctor or taking supplement after supplement, and they start getting really angry mm -hmm. because it's not working. Well, one of the things that I see happening constantly is people are so into 
pills and supplements, but right. they don't realize that you can actually bring the levels of even vitamins up high enough that they're toxic in your body. Right. And the liver has to detoxify this. I see this with athletes constantly. Uh, you know, they'll come in with gym bags full of supplements. And well, it's the American way, Paul. If a little bit's good, a lot must be better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the point is, is that uh, we, we start taking, uh, you know, hormone replacements or you know, elevating this hormone or taking piles of vitamins or supplements. And it actually is such a stress on the body that people, uh, and one of the tests I do with all the people that come to see me, no matter who they are, is for the first seven days, I say, I want you off any supplement, any vitamin, any superfood. All I want you to do is eat food that is organically grown, meats, vegetables, no nuts, no grains, no seeds, no dairy. I call it the caveman diet. Yep. I want to reset your system and get rid of anything that you don't absolutely have to take because it's prescribed by a doctor. And if I can call the doctor and see if we can get you off for a week, I will. And I've never had a single case in my entire career where people did not come back after seven days and go, Paul, I feel so much better. Why was I taking all that stuff? Right. It's a ubiquitous response. And I say, you're taking it because you read too many magazines, watch too much television, and you don't think critically. But your body is doing it for you. Well, and you don't understand that you are unique. And yes. that's the other thing, you know. I mean, I wrote Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle because I said, we're all our own unique puzzle. Yeah. We have our own past trauma, you know, and everyone has trauma. And we can talk about that. We have our own level of toxic exposure and our body's ability and willingness to get rid of those toxins. We have our own digestive health. And then we also have... Our genetics, right? Yeah. And so in that space, there are no two people that are going to be the same. No. And I think that that's an important thing because people will read blogs by famous functional medicine providers and, yes. you know, say, oh, well, this, I took this little quiz and I have yeast, so therefore, yeah. right? And they don't realize that all of those supplements that are used to kill yeast are very difficult for the liver to process. Yeah. And so they can make themselves very sick or they go after heavy metals, right? Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I've seen some terrible things happen <laughs> as a result of that. So uh, a couple of things. One, I wanted to say, you know, what I tell people is we're as different on the inside as we are on the outside. Right. So I say, walk into any room. Do you see anyone that looks exactly like you? Not unless you have an identical twin and they're still different than you. Right. And when, when you look, there's a great book uh, by Roger um, Williams called Biochemical Individuality, and he shows how the medical system established its ranges for all biophysical markers, such as blood pressure, heart rate, hormone levels, the chemistry of the body, and he shows studies on healthy people. And he shows, for example, that people with total cholesterol as high as a, th as a thousand can be completely normal and healthy depending on what culture they come from and what they're eating and what's natural to them, such as people Inuits or Eskimos right. versus a Hawaiian or someone who's like an inland Aboriginal. But he makes it very clear that the medical and drug companies establish such narrow windows that almost anyone that gets a test is going to need to be given some kind of saleable drug right. or supplement. Um, I want to, I want to say that I actually do prescribe supplements, mm -hmm. but I always say it like, this is just to get you out of this imbalance yes. with the objective that you're going to be able to do this on your own once yeah. your body's balanced. Right. Exactly. 
Hi, this is Paul Check, and I am super excited to share an amazing line of super nutritional products that I found called Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. If you go to Organifi.com and check out their product line, they have a wide variety of excellent products. And unlike any food-based product company that's ever showed interest in sponsoring the Czech Institute or any of my courses or products or videos or any of the projects I've done that stated they were organic, when I asked them for their organic certification, I never got them. I have been through this before. When I contacted Organifi and asked to see their documentation that they were legitimately using organic source materials, very quickly I got an email with 14 organic certifications showing that their source materials are certified organic. Then I put the products to the test with my family and on my own body, and I must say I was very impressed. They have a wide variety. They have green juice, red juice. They have a product called Gold that aids with sleep, muscle aches and pains, and joint stiffness. It helps bolster your immunity. It's awesome. One of my favorites is called Pure, and it's got lion's mane. It's bobab infused. It's great for gut health, brain performance. Lion's Mane is excellent for stimulating neurogenesis. I love to give it to my son, Mana. Another one that's fantastic is Immunity, which is an organic superfood product, and it supports your immune system. It tastes fantastic. I like to put these right in some water and mix them in and drink them or put them into tea. They have a variety of great stuff like green juices, red juice. They have Organifi Gold. It aids with restless sleep, muscle aches and pains, stiff joints, bolsters your immunity. You'll wake up feeling rejuvenated if you have that in the evening. They have awesome protein powders. Angie's about to give birth to our second child, and she's been really enjoying their protein powder. Their products are safe for pregnant mothers. I'm a very picky guy, and I'm hard to impress when it comes to food products. But these guys really got me. I love the products. If you are ready to try some amazing products that can really make your life more efficient, if you don't have time to do a lot of cooking, you're a busy executive or you're a mother and you've got lots going on and you need something to give your kids now and then that's legitimately nutritious, good for them, and organic, which means clean and high in nutrients, you can't go wrong with Organifi. Go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and when you're checking out, put in check 20s, lowercase c, lowercase h, lowercase e, lowercase k, 20, and you will get a 20% off at checkout, and you will be amazed, just like I was. Can't wait to hear your feedback. Check them out, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. When you're checking out, use the code C-H-E-K-20 for a 20% discount and prepare to be nourished, enlivened, and amazed. I'd love to hear your feedback. I also do the same, uh, but I also say to people, look, what I want you to do is pay close attention to what happens 
to your body, your emotions, your mind, and your sense of yourself when you take the supplement. And to the degree that it works, then I'm going to tell you which plants and foods that nutrition comes from. And I want you to begin paying attention to what happens when you eat those. And I teach them how to use muscle testing in a process called soul connection. So I let their, I call it the pain teacher. When the pain teacher shows up, it's time for you to be reverent and listen right. and use the pain as the feedback system that it's designed to be. And when you, if you find that taking a bunch of vitamin C improves you, then look at what you can eat that's organically grown that contains high levels of vitamin C, such as rose hips or, you know, a myriad of things have lots of vitamin C. Strawberries. Yeah. Tomatoes. Almost everything's got. Bell peppers. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because um, years ago I was doing research and I happened to come across a study that showed that the average American only eats 10 to 12 foods their entire lifetime when they looked at the diet logs of thousands of people. And I found a completely different study that concluded that the average person, when surveyed and asked, how many exercises do you know, only knew 10 to 12 exercises. And I thought, that's wild. We have two completely different fields coming up with this magic 10 to 12 number. So it seems like people kind of narrow them down to, you know, less than the, the baker's dozen for about everything. But when you consider there's 350,000 edible plants and something like a million animal species, right. uh, 10 to 12's very dangerously narrow for a body that has 30 billion billion biochemical reactions a second, right? So... um I, I love your approach, and it's very in harmony with how I have grown and developed my own philosophy and, and through my own life experience. I have a, a, a kind of a simple, straightforward question to kind of get more into the sex element of it. What, what do you describe, what would you, how would you describe the benefits of a healthy sex life? You know, this so much science behind what the benefits of a healthy sex life are. First of all, it's good for your relationship. If yeah. you're in a relationship, one of the number one, it is not one of, it is the number one cause for low sexual desire in women is actually dissatisfaction in your romantic relationship. Wow. Well, if you have, you know, you have a high desire partner and a low desire partner, if your high desire partner for sex in the couple is not having their sexual needs met, then the person that's the low desire partner for sex and is high desire partner for emotional connection, then the the high desire partner for sex will become the low desire partner for emotional connection. And mm. this polarization will start to happen right. like a teeter totter. So each is withholding because they don't feel like they're getting their needs met. Right? right. So it's, it's important for the relationship, but then for your own body science is told us that, uh, you know, if you have sex frequently, I always tell women that you should take your vagina to the gym every day. Yeah. If you're taking yourself to the gym, you know, you're, you're exercising biceps, triceps, core, uh, you know, your legs, you're doing all of these cardiovascular things. Are you actually working on your vaginal wall? Yeah. Why so do we ignore it? Intrinsic exercise, such as kegels and things that act. I'm actually talking unit. about if you're in a heterosexual relationship, having sexual intercourse. Okay. Right? Yep. And using exercises where you're squeezing around mm -hmm. your partner's penis that right. actually keeps strength there where yes. a kegel is a bit like just doing your arm up and down like this and expecting you're going to get a bicep. 
Well, a lot you have of to have resistance don't know how training. To do them properly. I know I we can talk about that. Therapist, yeah, we can talk about that's that. That's a big issue. But when you have a penis in there, there's a little bit of a natural resistance that's there if and, you're willing yeah. to use it. There's right? something to work with. It's something to work with. Now, what about somebody that's a single? Would you recommend that they do self pleasure? Absolutely, and you know you can use there are a whole variety of toys out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, people will look to Benoit balls if they have. Mm -hmm. We can talk about pelvic floor in a minute, but if they have pelvic floor issues, I usually say don't do that mm -hmm. because that's for more advanced, right? Yes, yeah, so they end up. Uh, magnifying compensation patterns. They do, yeah. and that becomes a problem. Yeah. So, you know, again, reading your favorite blog about <laughs> yeah. sex is yeah. probably not the right way to go, right? Yeah. So uh, that's another thing. Blood pressure comes down. You have oxytocin release in your body, bonding. Um, it's really good for mood. Mm -hmm. So we have so many different reasons that having regular sex is very important. Really good for hormone imba uh, balance. I also think, too, that, you know, there's some issues we'll get into, so I don't want to jump forward too far, but I think that um, it's a real important act of self-love, mm -hmm. you know, and what I see in our culture is that there's so many people that have uh, some kind of stigma, dogma, or fear about pleasuring themselves, but ultimately that kind of concept mirrors itself into many areas of their lives, and so any itch, scratch, or bump is a problem that you have to go sell to a doctor or some therapist. And so what I'm talking about is externalizing their responsibility and their relationship with their body to somebody else. Right. But if people take responsibility for nurturing their sexual needs, I find that they're far less aggressive and far less needy in relationships. Where a lot of couples or people tend to be expecting someone else to pleasure them and make them happy. And if they don't get sex, then they get to be quite uncomfortable to be around. Right. But if a person can see that the, the pleasure of sexual self-engagement is actually, you know, kind of like um, loving your dog and petting it and scratching it and making it feel better the way the dog responds, well, I often refer to the ego and the body as the dog and say, so you got to take care of your dog, right? right. People, people usually take better care of their cats and dogs than they do themselves. And I say to those people, just pretend that your body is a dog and think of the way you love your dog. Would you tell your dog to not have sex? I hope not, because then you don't realize you have a dog. You think well, you've got something else. Kind of make sure they don't get to have sex. Well, yes. People, <laughs> it's but, kind of that's but, another conversation. Well, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's projecting our own exactly uh, anthropomorphic ideals onto a dog. And and God bless the dogs, all of you dogs out there. I love you. Forgive your owners for their um, confusion. Um, so next, one of the things I, yeah, I wanted to talk about with that was we do live in this. You know, our roots are very puritanical. If yeah. you're Caucasian, right? Yes. That's that's how America <laughs> was built. And so if you can think about how that has been handed down generation after generation, it really hasn't changed very much. We went through no. a sexual revolution, so to speak, with the birth control pill, yeah. which has damaged female bodies left and right since then, but helped come out of the closet in terms of being able to have control over whether or not you want to be pregnant or not, yes. which was started a great conversation, so important. Yeah. But we still haven't really gone through the duality of 
sacred and sex. No, we haven't. And, and it's we haven't, a we're not anywhere close to it. It's a problem. Yeah. And I have lots of questions to bring that up into yeah. the surface. So. so there's a lot of trauma around this. There is. And it, it's, the thing is, it's, it's psychophysical trauma. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of trauma. Psycho, spiritual, physical. Well, yeah. If, yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, everything's spiritual, but I appreciate that addition. Yes, it is. It's yeah. trauma at every level, right. really. The human psyche is a rainbow bridge. So at the top, you have uh, the unknowable God source. And at the bottom, you have atoms hanging out in a collection we call the body. Right. And the chakra system is really the rainbow bridge between those two, right? The crown chakra is the next octave up. But, but you know, as you know, this whole concept just goes forever up, right? right? And then when you hit the bottom, you're at the atoms and we're in between. And, you know, if you, if you hurt your foot, your head knows it and your heart knows it and all aspects of your being know it. So, that's another part of the medical system is it keeps trying to isolate injuries, illnesses, incidents, and traumas to one zip code. But right. the, the whole of our being is engaged in all of these these elements. Before I go further, your Osage, is that right? Ojus. Ojus. Is the O orgasm or something else? No, Ojus is actually O-J-A-S. It's life force vitality in Sanskrit. Oh, in Sanskrit. That's yep. where I was trying to make the connection. Yep. Okay. Well, orgasm juice, that's also uh, good. So I just say, oh, juice, right? Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, there's a wide variety of ways to gain sexual pleasure, from self-pleasure to oral to vaginal to anal, as well as toys, multiple partners, and more. It doesn't take long when working with people to find out that they are programmed with all sorts of inhibitions, guilt issues, shame issues, and confused ideas about what is or isn't permitted based on how they were programmed and educated. Um, so my question with that preface is, if there are sexual taboos talking to the sex doctor, mm-hmm. what are they? It just depends on you. Yeah. What's taboo for you? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I had a teacher a long time ago who called sex in America uh, just like eating the leftovers off a table that you would give your <laughs> dog. That's about right. right? Yeah. So that one, one Poor person... Poor dog. Well, one person saying, well, I'm not going to do that. That's disgusting. And the other yeah. person saying, well, I won't do that. And then what you have is leftover, right? Yeah. And so everything that's leftover is not taboo to you. Right. But you have to have... We have implicit agreements and explicit agreements between us when yes. we're in a relationship. And yeah. so you have to pull them all out so they're explicit. Yes. So you don't have these underlying things that you don't know are really running the show. So yeah. I always say, you know, the greatest sex is the greatest communication. Mm, you that's have great. to be able to talk yeah. about this and really explore. It doesn't mean you have to be into kink if you don't want to be into kink. Right. But if your partner's into kink, and yeah. I'm using the term because that's what's used in the sexology world, yeah. you know, and, and says this is something they want to explore, then you have to be able to negotiate what that's going to look like. Yeah. And, you know, and if you have great communication, then you can do that. Yes. If you don't, if you just have judging, shaming, guilting, right, mm-hmm. and suppression, then that's not going to happen, and then you're going to wind up with all kinds of problems. Yeah. I think one of the challenges, just to try to be fair to everybody listening, is that a lot of our implicit values around things like sex are unconscious. Right. So, unfortunately, you can't communicate consciously what's unconscious, 
But what I've learned through my own experiences, and I think you know I have two wives, and Penny and I uh, uh, have had an open relationship where we gave each other permission to nourish ourselves sexually with others if that felt natural to us, and we made it, you know, we keep that open between us so there's nobody getting blindsided or surprised. So I've had, uh, you know, after my first 17-year marriage of monogamy, I found that it was very stressful to me. I felt very confined. Of course, I was a much younger person then. So I went through quite a number of years of exploring sex and intimacy and sharing love in ways that felt natural. But through, also as a therapist, I've come across these things countless times because they're coupled to disease processes and even Mm -hmm. athletic performance challenges. But what I found that is a great indicator that you have an unconscious belief or guilt or shame or judgment is that something's stopping you from enjoying sex, but you don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's when I tell people, that's when you need a skilled therapist to help you. Right. I call it borrowing a brain. Borrowing a... Borrowing a brain. Yes. The same brain that creates the problem or has been programmed and patterned with that... Yeah. Can't be expected to come up with a solution. No. And yet we keep trying to do that and it doesn't work, you know? So if mm. you have somebody that has a higher level of development than you do, mm. and that's, I really want to make that clear, you cannot go to somebody that is not at a higher level of development and have them mentor you. That's a problem though, because most people don't know how to make that distinction. Well, that's why I'm talking about it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so if there was tips for choosing somebody... Because you're having a, a, a an issue that may show up at your sex life, but the reality of it, it could be something from a different camp. Right. Meaning it might be a religious idea that's been buried in the child in you. Right. It could be fear because maybe as a child, your mother and father would fight after they had sex. So now you're programmed to think that pleasure leads to pain. Or it could be your own trauma. Yes. Yeah. I call this your libido story. Yeah. And so I have a workbook for that, you know, where people can actually go through their different stages of development as a child and and do a libido map where they get to see, you know, where was I introduced to this and how did that go? And Mm -hmm. what was the belief I came up with as a result? Yes. You know, so if you can work through that, then you get to see it right? It gives you a structure. Yes. And then you know what door to go through when Mm -hmm. you're trying to have somebody help you. Yes. Yeah. That's what I call making the unconscious conscious. Yep. Uh, You can't work with it until you get it on the table, as you alluded to earlier. And I think these are important concepts. Part of the reason I was asking you about the taboos is is there's a few things. Uh, The one that comes to mind first that seems to be kind of like a worldwide issue culturally. Uh, I can only say that from my experience and the cultures I've been to, but there's a lot of um, charge around anything to do with anal sex. And there's also a fair number of books that say, you know, the bacteria is dangerous. You can, you know, get all sorts of health problems from, you know, warts on your penis or whatever the hell. I mean, there's just like a myriad of stuff out there. And um, personally, I think that uh, if you can engage in that and it nourishes you and you're not getting into indication, ind- indications it's causing problems. But some of the f- reasons I was asking you is because I know a lot of people enjoy what's called front to back, right? 
a man putting his penis in the rectum and then right into the vagina and going back and forth. Right. And then there's always the concern of the bacteria getting into the vagina and then causing problems there. Which is actually a concern. Yes. But you can, yeah. you can alleviate that. Well, that's why I wanted to bring this yeah. up because uh, I have seen cases in my own life where that happened to women. And mm -hmm. I said, look, that is a tricky one because unless you have a very good system of vaginal cleansing and you do it quickly after sex, you can end up with a bacterial infection. And I have seen a number of women get that. So um, you can keep warm water, you know, with uh, antibacterial soap and then another bowl of warm water and a warm washcloth, you know, nearby so that you can actually cleanse just before mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to interrupt anything. You mean uh, the cleansing vaginally? No, I'm talking about cleansing a penis right. before it goes into the vagina after it's been in the rectum. Okay, yeah. So, see, the, the front to back is usually uh, back and forth, back right. and forth, back but and forth. But you can actually, it doesn't need to interrupt it. Mm -hmm. I've had this experience a lot myself. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you can actually make it part of the sensual experience. Okay. Right? I'm speaking more of a not stop, clean, go, switch. I'm speaking of... I understand. Yeah. I'm saying that there, so that is one switch. way that you can actually... Okay, you're so, so you're saying be conscious of the hygiene factor. Right, because it can cause some pretty serious infection. kidney infections, yeah. Oh, kidney infections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen it cause um, uh, vaginal bacterial but infections. It can go all the way up. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, so thinking of those kinds of things, are there any other things like that? You know, I, I find that this is less and less taboo. And maybe that's just because I live in Seattle, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we all live in our own little bubbles of people that we see and listen to. Um, but I've, I think that people are having less taboo around anal sex mm -hmm. than ever before. In 35 years of professional practice, Paul has earned a reputation for being able to help clients when others have failed. If you listen to the episode featuring skateboard legend Danny Way, you've heard the story behind just one of those cases. That reputation, and all of the learning it took to get Paul there, was hard won. Paul flew all over the world to learn from experts, spent countless dollars on rare or out-of-print books, listened to hundreds of hours of lectures, tested out everything he learned, and devoted many, many hours of putting all the techniques together into one singular system of holistic health. It would take decades to reproduce his system if you started from scratch. Fortunately, you don't have to do that. If it's your calling to be the best health and performance professional that you can be, to become a true master in resolving deep health challenges and helping athletes reach their optimal performance, then you're ready for the Czech Academy. We are thrilled to announce that we are now accepting applications to join this group of dedicated and passionate students into the most structured, comprehensive and affordable way to complete the entire system of Czech training. As a Czech Academy student, you'll grow personally and professionally in ways you never imagined because we've structured out an entire learning process for you designed to ensure you absorb every drop of knowledge in the courses you take and understand exactly how to implement what you've learned. And this truly is the most affordable way to learn the entire Czech system, 
Each course has been discounted for academy students, plus you'll receive business training and mentorships that aren't available to any other Czech student, all for an affordable monthly fee. So if you're ready to learn Paul's system of holistic health and truly help people be their healthiest best, if you want to realize your own potential as a holistic health and performance coach, we invite you to apply now for the Czech Academy. Go to checkinstitute.com forward slash academy to get started. And now let's get back to this episode of Living 4D with Paul Check. What I'm finding now that is sort of alarming to me, actually, that is becoming taboo is circumcision or not circumcising and that it's people, a charged issue so charged and people are getting the way they are around vaccines you know yeah, where oh my God, yes. there's this polarization there's not critical thinking no. there's not discussion and yeah. it's shaming you know it's, so we're yeah. going from slut shaming to now circumcision shaming to yeah. vaccination shaming and i'm just like okay this is a, a developmental level that we all need to move out of yeah. and start really having conversations and individualizing what is right for each person and yeah. then not worrying about what everyone else is doing, but doing what's right for you. So I'm, I'm finding that that's becoming taboo mm-hmm. and that's alarming to me. Yeah. It's a, you know, the, this gets down again to religious programming yeah. and beliefs and, Confusion. And cultural, and, and there's like this idea of cleanliness or yeah. not. And it came up on the panel I was on. Mm-hmm. And I could start, everyone was, you know, really anti-circumcision in the room. And I finally took the microphone and I said, look, I don't want this to start. If somebody has chosen, there are adult males that go in and get circumcised because that's the choice that they make. Yeah, That needs to not be a shaming kind of activity for them any more than shaming somebody for the opposite, right? So I just I just want to keep us out of shaming anything that has to do with our bodies and sexually. Yeah. And I find that I drop into it myself when I start thinking about female circumcision, you know, mm, and yes. little girls where it's against their will. Yeah. And it is a cultural thing, but I find that I get very angry about that. So I understand, yeah. right, where this comes from, this feeling, but mm-hmm. I, I want us to all be conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. it's important too. Uh, um, and I've been involved in, in some of these intense debates. In fact, uh, somebody started talking about this on the Czech Institute forum, and it got very intense. And yeah. it got so wound up that Facebook shut the damn thing down. Mm. But uh, one, I don't, you know... I try to get out of these things, not get involved in them because they're black holes. And it's usually, unfortunately, it's people that have narrow, very narrow viewpoints that don't realize they're using words in ways that are as harmful as circumcision at the end of the day. So, you know, you can can circumcise another person's heart by attacking someone who may not really honestly know the difference, you know, and I see how rude people can be. But I, I actually... My second wife, Angie, who's the chief of my holistic lifestyle coaching program, she got on there because she knew this already. And she said, well, look, it might be important for you to realize that Paul's son had to be circumcised, my first son, not because of any religious idea. But what happened was when my son was little, I think he was maybe around five 
he did not get circumcised. We just kind of let him be natural, but he kept forgetting to clean the urine off the end of his foreskin, and he had a fairly decent-sized foreskin. Mm -hmm. So what happened is the urine kept getting trapped in there, and he was getting bacterial infections. Mm. And and this was, you know, scary for us because he'd get like yellowy, pussy right. areas, typical bacterial infection. And so they wanted to give him antibiotics, and the t but but after about the third one, the doctor said. Look, th this is a this is getting pretty bad, and I'm worried that if he gets a bad enough bacterial infection, we might have to cut a piece of his penis off to get this out of here. So he said, you might want to consider having him circumcised if he if you can't get him to clean it. And we tried everything, and mm -hmm. for some reason, he just wouldn't. I think it was because he was so excited to play and do right. things, he didn't want to stop and any longer than he had to. And after his third uh, bacterial infection, which was quite scary looking i said okay we we're gonna have to have him circumcised and this was in the, i was in the military i was in the 82nd airborne division at the time unfortunately the doctor that did it wasn't very good at it so it wasn't a nice clean one like uh we like to see mm -hmm. um but there's just a case where what's the choice have the kid end up having the end of his penis cut off right or circumcise him my only point being is that we, we need to take a holistic view of these things and not hold such polarized judgments till we have all the chips on the table. Exactly. And we have genetics that we can look at now to look to see if a kid can actually handle an immunization. Right. That's, exactly. It's beautiful. You I know, know that. we have the technology to be able to know. I've had to do that because we got a vaccine exemption for Mana and mm -hmm. we're working to get one for Zoe. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that we did have several markers that correlate to what's in vaccines and say you are very likely to get cancer if you get this vaccine or that vaccine. Yeah. And that's just a beautiful thing, you know, mm -hmm. that we can do that. And, you know, I, I gave a talk about this and I said, you know, the only reason we are even having the freedom to have this discussion is because we don't have kids running around with polio right now right. and we don't have smallpox any longer. Yeah. So you guys have never had an earth that has that in your world. Yeah. And so now you can have the freedom to discuss this. But I said, if you saw those diseases and I put pictures up of what it used to look like in my mother's time, you know, I said, we don't have this on, you know, anymore as a problem. And some of them are starting to kind of, pop back up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's worthwhile to not have a black and white shaming judgment around anything. And yeah. it seems to crop up around sex a lot. It does. And I think that we'll get into this in a minute, but I really think that a lot of that goes right down to religious programming. Unfortunately, there's so much, as you know, heavy religious right. kind of taboo and it. It's interesting because you don't have to go back but to the Greco-Roman era, era and anal sex and sex with boys and right. same-sex relationships were as that common was the norm. as white bread. And, and, right. and then all of a sudden- And in fact, valued very highly. That, yes. Yeah. And, and then you see the table turn. But when whenever I look at something personally, no matter what it is, I always say, what do other cultures do? Mm -hmm. So I can see a broad spectrum of beliefs. And what, if, what does history tell us about this? And- what does it look like if you look in your crystal ball? In other words, what what's what does this practice bring going? you in three months or three right. years or ten years, right? And and this is basically what I call holistic thinking. But thinking is actually quite challenging. David Bohm, one of my favorite quantum physicists, says mm -hmm. 
Real thinking is hard work. That's why most people just rearrange their prejudices. And so we end up in this situation. Now, I'm going to bring something up that that for some might be a little uncomfortable to listen to, but I do have the sex doctor with me. I've had students of mine email me video clips that came from places like YouTube and other places asking me my opinion. And some of these clips were pretty shocking, aside from sex with animals, which has been going on for a long time. And I've had patients that have admitted that that was part of the things that they gotten into. And I had to help them heal the emotional trauma of doing that, oftentimes on heavy drugs and kind of getting just too out of themselves. But I've had a few cases. One, the first one was, it was a bunch of young people partying and they had this glass table. And somebody would lay under the glass table and the other person would squat over their face and shit on the table. Hmm. And that was... Erotic. Erotic. But the one that was worse was they were shitting in each other's mouth and pissing all over each other. And the golden shower is not that novel or new. Right. But the, the student... This actually has happened two or three times. The students were all asking me, what do you think's behind this? And why would someone have the urge to have someone shit in their mouth? And so I'll share what I said to them, and I'd love to hear your viewpoint on this. I said, well, first of all, it's a very unnatural thing to do. Second of all, I've not met any healthy people that consider that a sexual act uh, to eat someone else's feces like that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just my observation. But third of all, if you look at the fact that we've now been eating food from poison soil since 1945, and it's gotten worse every year, and the level of nutrition in the food is very deficient. And then if you go to Pottinger's cat studies, are you familiar with yeah. Pottinger's cat? So he showed that by the end of the study of eating um, pasteurized milk and cooked food, that the animals lost their sexual preference and started displaying uh, homosexual or lesbian tendencies and their motor skills deteriorated, and basically they were dying, and they ended up literally almost dying out. took them four generations of feeding them the right food that was healthy to get them back to where they started. So my point was, is when you look at how deficient people are for nutrients, which are really based on the health of the soil, I personally felt it might be a confused psychological attempt to actually get soil, to actually get better, healthier bacteria, or to modify the gut biome that was being projected psychologically as a need that was interpreted sexually. Instead of getting healthy food and, and, and recolonizing the gut, that somebody may have had the experience of finding that they felt better after this, not realizing that they just had healthy poop, and interestingly, now we have um, fecal, transplant. fecal transplants. Right. So, uh, with it's not that usually preface, done orally, though. But yeah, no, yeah. no, it's not. But the the point is, you see the the the, the science is there to say there's something valuable. There. Right. Right. It's just not supposed to come through the mouth. I'm curious, what's your take on that? Well, there are a few different dimensions to this, and mm. your theory, you know, is a theory and yeah. could very well be part of it because pregnant women can go through something called pica, where they're wanting dirt and clay and yes. all kinds of strange things mm. that, you know, you would ordinarily not think Eat. of eating, yeah. right? Um, so that could very well be a nutrient deficiency in the body that it's craving and screaming for. 
I find that a lot of the stuff does happen under the influence of drugs also. Yes. And you're right. It's not usually uh, emotionally and mentally healthy people that are engaging in those practices. And fetishes actually come from a place where there's been something on that libido map yeah. where there's an arrested development and uh-huh. trauma, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's a theory in some of the literature that uh, boys that love to have fur next to them or silk or something like that. It's from looking up at mom's vagina and seeing her pubic hair, you know, mm-hmm. and, and equating those two together. And, mm-hmm. you know, so who knows? Mm-hmm. But that a lot of times it is from some shame place that has been broken at that point mm-hmm. in their development. So so it's, if I'm, if I could give you my interpretation of what you're saying, it sounds to me, if you think of the psyche as a mirror, an inner mirror, yep. we know if we stand in front of a warped mirror, we get distorted images. Right. So if a person's got traumatic, distorted inner experience. Worth issues. Yeah. What they're deserving of. Any number of traumas. Yep. Exactly. That their perception of what is normal or even their own sense of instinct and desire can also be equally distorted. Absolutely. And therefore you see these very unusual, you know, I guess it would be really a fetish. It's not a a normal. No, it's a fetish. I mean, I've been with a lot of uh, sexually explicit (laughs) female partners that certainly were every man's dream and I've never had anyone ask me to do that. To poop in their mouth. And I've never had the desire to yeah. do that or have, I'm like, look, I grew up on a farm working in cow shit and pig shit and every kind of shit you can imagine. And the smell of healthy animals doesn't bother me, but I, you would not find me reaching down and scooping it up and eating it. Right. There's just an innate rejection to that from the inside. There is, um, my spiritual path is non-dual tantric Shaivism. And in early days, uh, Tantra, which is often thought of as sexual in our culture, it is not. No, it's only one of about 112 precepts of, of uh, Tantra. It's not even it? a precept. It's, mm. it's like what was discovered is the energy regulation that can happen with the spiritual practices actually can translate to into the bedroom. And right. then we took that in the West and decided right. that was what it was all about. But yeah. if you think about Tantra, it was an expression of rejection of the caste system that was happening at the time that it started to emerge. Mm-hmm. So women and, and different, you know, the untouchables were the only ones allowed to deal with dead bodies right. and clean up poop, right? right? Clean the toilets and uh, equivalent of. So what tantric initiates would do is they would be taken by their teachers into the graveyards and have the ashes of the dead spread Mm -hmm. on them, Mm -hmm. you know, and some of the texts actually say that they were asked to eat shit at that time. Mm. And it was because the idea was, is that nothing is not God. Right. That all of it is an expression yeah. of, you know, including well, the that most still remains vile. True. It is. <laughs> and so, you know, you can kind of, it depends on how you're, you're looking at it and I guess what your motivation is when you yeah. start thinking about this. But usually, if it's going to come up as a YouTube video, it's going to be somebody heavily influenced by drug at that time and yeah. it's a fetish. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I felt, I felt that, uh, 
that's not a conversation that most people would have with other people because mm-hmm. there's not many places you can go to have that conversation. But having been exposed to you on the last panel and, and just sensing, you know, your uh, you got a strong mother archetype around you. Like you can hold the space for almost anything. Um, and I wanted to bring that on the table just because it, it is something that seems to be happening with enough regularity that it's making it to my desk. Yeah. And it's made it to my desk three times now. And mm. so if it's making it to one guy with 10,000 students three times, well, if you do the math, that's a lot of shitting and mouths going yeah, on out is. there. You know? It is. And I think it's just mirroring the the serious lack of, of um, physical, emotional, and mental well-being that's emerging out of our cultural situation. Well, I had some very, very dear friends when I was a nurse in the intensive care unit in my very early 20s. And it was in Salt Lake City, Utah. Very, very polarized culture and mm-hmm. you know you're yes either... i have two practitioners that work there and i'm a consultant to them yeah so you're either in the mormon church or you know you're either with us or against us kind yeah. of you know polarity that goes on there and a lot of my friends um nurses that worked with me in the intensive care unit were gay mm. and they would have the most self-destructive because this is the time when aids was running rampant yes right through the west coast and they were dropping like flies of mm. HIV and AIDS at that time. And I would just say, why? I would, you know, we would work night shift together and I would have these deep conversations with them of why are you self-harming? You know, why are you not being careful? And what I could see that was not being expressed because they didn't have it on their conscious radar, mm. it couldn't get from here onto the table as we were talking about earlier, was that they had so much self-loathing because they weren't being approved of by their culture and their parents right. that it was like, well, if you don't love me, I can't love me either. It's abandonment. It is. And yeah. I'm going to engage in these self-destructive behaviors because nobody cares and therefore yeah. I don't care. And so that goes along. You know, Some of these sexual practices that can be very self-destructive yeah. often emerge from that space very unconsciously. So then they enter into the victim archetype. Right. And so those... You know those two archetypes, abandonment and victim. Um, they're pretty rich and alive in a lot of people's lives. And it's where the the old term came from. You know, cutting off your nose to spite your face, yeah, yeah. right? And and it was like this flagrant anti Mormon. We're going to be in the streets with it, mm-hmm. uh, which then of course makes the polarization even worse because people that are observing it are judging it and saying, you know, yeah. And we, we also know from the Catholic Church, it's been a great model to show us uh, what you repress does come out with a vengeance. It will, in all yeah. kinds of sideways ways. Yeah. And we know that historically from, you know, the Prohibition era to, yeah. you know, I mean, it's everything. just like Whatever everything. you take away. As soon as you start squishing, it's going to yeah. come out in these weird popping ways. Yes, you pressurize things <laughs> and they, they do shoot out. Yeah. Um, my next question is the father, mother, and child are the first archetypes activated within our psyche from the basis of our psychic or psychophysical development. Can you share your views on how these initial archetypes influence and express themselves in our sexual beliefs and practices? Um, and that's connected to the shadow because the shadow really occurs as a byproduct of cultural programming. If you watch bonobos or chimpanzees or uh, the closest primates to us, 
they don't behave like we do sexually. They're very, very they honest. They use it to make open. up. Yeah. yeah and yeah. They, they don't, you know, a, a male monkey will masturbate in front of you without even thinking twice about it, you right. know. So, um, and they seem to carry a lot less stress. And, you know, people like um, Robert Sapolsky and many have done you know, extensive blood monitoring on them. And sex is very clearly a stress reliever, a bonder, and a reconnecting tool for them. But they don't have all the stigma in the way and all the, you know, all the stuff. Well, I can tell you this happens in neurological intensive care units across our country, too. When a boy or a man has a brain, traumatic brain injury and is in a coma, they will masturbate like crazy. Wow, I didn't know Alzheimer's that. units, same thing. You know, the males are going and hopping in bed with the females and it's it's like all that inhibition is gone and the way that they want to self-soothe mm-hmm. is available to them. That's interesting. I'm uh, very interesting to they hear that. They often get restrained with restraints. Well, and that's... the family members will come in and be very ashamed of their family member, you know, who's had the traumatic brain injury because they're just masturbating in front of the nurses and yeah. the doctors and everything. And, you know, I would always say, no, 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 it's okay. What a great study it would be to just allow that. Well, you know, of course, clear them for STDs, which we can do pretty well, but just say, hey, maybe this is God's medicine. Except maybe it, this is the body. It's also not to- consensual if it's Alzheimer's, right? Oh, well, it's either not consensual or everything's consensual. Exactly. I mean, that's why they say the if you have some guy crawling into bed with you at night and you haven't consented. Yeah. You know, and you have Alzheimer's. Well, maybe so. then you could simply say to the caregivers, the the people that are the family, would you, you know, if, if it was presented scientifically and we use that as a study group, I'm sure that if it's that as an option that's natural versus more drugs or more surgery or, or whatever the medical approach is, mm-hmm. really... I doubt anybody's going to get Well, this is hurt. why we call it medical ethics. It's never black and white. Well, yeah. I, I yeah. just think that when we, you know, I'm a pattern observer. Too. So when, when you know that a person's conscious mind isn't there, but that's what their body wants to do, to me, that's scientific evidence that we should look there. I know. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and unfortunately, the medical system's not free of the very challenges we're talking about. So my, my point with the father mother-child archetypes and how that sets us up. We've kind of alluded to some of this, but I want to give you a chance to expand. And then the shadow, because really, as I was saying, if you watch animals in nature, pretty much, you know, all of them, there's a wide difference from insects all the way up. But when you look at the closest ones to us, or you just look at a general scope of how animals handle sex, it ranges quite a bit from those that only do it when it's mating season to, you know, primates that do it to alleviate psychological stress, physical trauma, etc. But so when we look at these two things, we look at the, the father and the mother, which are the archetypal expression for the child of all women and all men. Mm-hmm. So really what I'm asking is, how big of a factor do you think, as someone who works with people that have sexual challenges, is the initial imprint of how the child picks up unconsciously from the father and mother issues about sex, even before the child consciously knows what's going on? 
I, I certainly have my opinions, but I'm interested in yours. Oh, well, of course that happens, right? Yeah. You cannot help it. That's yeah. this nature versus nurture. Yeah. And we're definitely nurtured into our opinions. And yeah. part of the human growth and developmental stage of adolescence is to have your locus of control move from external to internal. Mm -hmm. And your job, according to Erickson, is to become autonomous, right? Mm -hmm. And so breaking free of those patterns, being able to look at them, sort them out and say, I like this one, I don't like this one, is part of us growing up. Yes. And of course, our brains are not fully online and developed until we're 26. So we yeah. have that whole span of time that we're, if we're willing and aware enough, that's the problem, is we're not called from anywhere in our middle school, adolescent years to do that work. Right. No. And it is the work that if you were in another culture, part of my studies have been coming of age ceremonies in various cultures. Yes. And... In almost every other culture besides ours, there are very distinct coming-of-age ceremonies that occur so that that youth can do that work. Right. And we don't have it. No, we don't. We've lost our whole tribal system. Yeah. We have no elders leading us anymore. We have no Obviously. wise... Our wise old people that used to be the ones that primarily educated the children are now actually playing the same games that the younger people are. I know. And I, I personally see the anti-aging movement as a perpetual adolescence and the attempt the to rest avoid the spiritual, um, the spiritual uh, element of maturation into a wise one, woman or a wise man. I actually had someone that was on the sex panel with me a couple of days ago want to do a selfie with me, and she said oh, I have this app and it'll take our wrinkles away. And I said, do not take my wrinkles away. Yeah. I said, I am 54. Yeah. I like to be to state my age constantly yeah. and say how excited I am to age because I am moving into wise woman elder space yeah. and I want that to be very deliberate. Mm -hmm. And we have to then turn back to the generation before us and give them the wisdom that they need to move forward to. Yeah. I think you and I both have communities where we're actively doing that. Yes. Nature abhors a vacuum. And so the vacuum, the absence of wise man elders and yeah. wise woman elders is showing up in our political arena. Yes, it is. All you have to do is look at that. And people are so judgmental about our president and mm -hmm. to call him all these terrible names mm -hmm. and everything. And all I say is, that which you see in him that you do not like is within you. Yeah. And it is because our culture has not spent time maturing yeah. and creating space for elders to be in place yeah. that we have that. We've actually, in our culture, we've got the opposite. Yeah. Old people are treated like they're a problem. I know. Like, get them off the streets. Get them out of the way. They're driving too slow. They're stupid. The only yeah. thing that makes me anxious about getting old, and it is the one and only thing, is that whenever I am asked on the telephone to put in a code or to follow a prompt, <laughs> and it goes so fast, yeah. I think, oh my gosh, in 30 years, am I going to be able to follow that that fast? Well, that's a real concern. I'll, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I had a firsthand experience of exactly that, mm -hmm. but a different way. Um, one time I had to fire the person that was doing my video editing because they weren't doing a good job. And I started shopping for new video editors. And I found these two, actually somebody told me about this 
pair of guys that were like 17 and 18 years of age. There were like high school guys that took up film production and turned out to be actually really good. And I contacted them. They sent me some videos they made and they were really good. So I went to meet them and they said, bring us some of the stuff that you've got out there and we'll look at it. And I'm sitting there with them and we're just watching the video on the screen. And all of a sudden, one of the guys says, did you see how lousy that edit was? And he said, yeah, man, they missed several frames. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't see anything. They said, you didn't see that? And they, so they slowed the film down to frame by frame. And sure enough, there was an edit that had been done, but it actually had a, where they cut the film, but left a couple frames of the old stuff before they started the new stuff. And I'm, this is going on at 24 frames a second. That's a lot of frames, right? But these young guys could actually see and perceive that. Mm-hmm. And I did not see that, only when they slowed it down. And they were surprised I couldn't see it because to them it was obvious. Right. And I think a lot of this is this digital inf- right. infection that we have. So they're processing information so fast, but I think that's one of the reasons we have all this anxiety and attention deficit and strange sexual practices to alleviate right. some of this tension they don't know how to get rid of and and that is sort of a distortion to the way we live and it's producing a distortion in the mirror we talked about which can show up as eating practices uh sex Drugs practices and alcohol being used for everything yeah self-medicating it's, and numbing out yeah yeah i mean you and i were talking in the car on the way over here and i was saying you know i've come to this place where i'm not so sure the speed that i'm living my life in is in it's is congruent with the value system that I hold right. as a wise woman elder. Yes. And so I'm being called right now to investigate that yeah. and I'm doing it. Yes. You know, I, I think that that it becomes a place where we have to take the time, mm. right? So what I'm going to go do is sit in a vision quest and mm. not eat for four days and four nights and go yeah. up on the mountain by myself. Yeah. We actually don't have space for that unless mm. You know, it's not encouraged. It's not like it's our part of our conversation and our culture. Because our culture doesn't consider that medicinal. I know. They don't consider that therapeutic. They consider that weird and strange. Like, who the hell would want to do that? I know. And and I'm not going to be productive mm, or achieving anything while yeah. I'm on that mountain. And, 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 <laughs> and I'm going to be off Facebook. Text messages you're going to miss. I know. <laughs> you know, oh my God. You might not be able to sell something for four days. My daughter uh, confessed to me, we were talking about shadow, She's 25. She's doing her first uh, four-day sit. She's done another vision quest, but she's doing the force with the Lakota with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll be in separate places on the mountain. But what she said to me is, I noticed something came up for me, Mom. And I said, what's that, honey? And she said, I realized that I thought to myself, my mom is going to write about this in a better way than I will on social media. (laughs) 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 And I said... I'm glad you observed that. I have nothing to say as long as you're observing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she, she said, I'm on it. It's my shadow, you know, yeah. and she's very self-aware and yeah. that's that's wonderful, right? But yeah. isn't that funny yeah. that Instagram came up around this? <laughs> well, it just goes to show you that <laughs> the way people think and communicate today is very different than the way you or I would right. because of the way we were educated and the environment that we came from. But when we were kids, things were going fast for us compared to our parents. Exactly. And so 
It's not problem, good or bad. It's just it's, what it, it is. It is, but the fact that the information rate is doubling right. every year, it's, you know, if you take a big number and double it, it's a bigger number. Right. So I, I see people just quaking inside, like they can't relax. Right. And then you have people that think they're missing out on something. So they get, they're like trying to be in 14 places at one time. Right. So it's actually getting quite stressful. Well, Keisha, I'm digging this interview. Um, it's so lovely to have someone I can talk to about some of these things that are scary for most people to engage in. You know, like I, I guarantee you, if I had this conversation in a room full of physicians, a lot of them would get up and walk out. Yeah, uh, I, I, I feel the same way. <laughs> I can give you, thank you. I can give you an example of this for real. I was trained uh, in 1986 to do intrapelvic therapy through the St. John Neuromuscular Therapy Institute. And I did an advanced course where we learned how to release the pelvic floor both vaginally and rectally and to mobilize the coccyx and, and work with the ob internal obturator muscles and common pelvic floor disorders. And as a massage therapist, I have to get a, a, a prescription from a physician to do that. Right. But there was so much pelvic floor trauma in the clinic that I saw all this stuff getting passed over. Yeah. And so I would offer when, when the physical therapists or doctors would refer people to me with these problems, I would offer to teach them how to do it. The most common I got answer I got from doctors and physical therapists is I would never stick my finger up someone's ass. Why? It's dirty. And I'm like, that is part of the human body. Mm -hmm. I said, you, you know, one, in this particular case, I had a lady that had been through 163 visits to a physical therapist. She had pelvic floor pain. Not one person had ever asked her about her sex life. And the first question I had, I read through her medical file. I said to her, I said, look, and she was a small woman. I said, look, you're a small woman. How big is your husband? I think he was 6'6 six, six or 6'7. Six, she was maybe 5'2. Yeah. A petite kind of gymnastic looking look, girl, woman, maybe 40 years old at the time, 38, 35 or something. I said, do you practice anal sex? And she looked at me and she said, well, to be honest with you, yes, my husband loves it. I said, is he fairly well endowed? She said, very. Mm. I said, do you get pain with anal sex? She said, yes. I said, is it anything like this pain? She said, well, I get sharp pain, but it causes this pain. I said, why have you not ever shared that with any of the therapists? She said, well, they never asked. And to be honest with you, I felt very insecure because my intuition was, is that they would judge me for it. Well, not only that, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Well, the therapist in my clinic did because I was there. Mm. So the paradox is they don't even want to learn it because they've got all these biases right. that really, in my camp, that means you're not ready, mature enough to be a therapist. And two, they think it's dirty. Well, it took me six treatments. It was completely and utterly gone. So she saw me for six treatments and wiped out a problem she'd been seeing therapists for for almost three years every week, sometimes three times a week getting useless therapies that weren't doing a damn thing. My, my closing question, though, is that I did an audio years ago called Sex is Grease and Sex is Glue, and I basically gave the description that when sex is healthy, it's like greasing the chain on your bicycle or lubricating a machine. It makes the relationship work better. Mm -hmm. But when sex is used in ways that aren't healthy due to the dynamics of the relationship, it becomes like glue 
And many people stay in relationships because the sex is very intense or they have orgasms together, but then they fight like cats and dogs for the next 23 hours a day. So is there any wisdom you could share with that concept of sex is grease and sex is glue? You know, it's a very good observation. Uh, Like I said, the number one cause for female sexual desire dip is interrelationship issues. Mm -hmm. And so if you it's going to come back down to the very first thing we started with, which is communication. Yes. Right? Yeah. It, it really isn't about sex being so much the glue or the grease. It's about your whole dynamic. Yeah. And if only one part of it works and then nine-tenths of the rest of it doesn't, there are a couple of things. It doesn't mean get out. Yeah. It could mean... Or is it time for you to self-confront mm-hmm. and start working if you're in harmony sexually with your partner and you're able to be vulnerable and, you know, have true intimacy, then is there some other part here that you're walling off and unable to self-confront and do some work around? Yeah. One of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that relationship conflict is actually to be welcomed. Yes, you can't have a healthy relationship without conflict. It's right. It's so people that say we never argue or yeah. we don't ever have conflict, I just go, well, I see. Well, that means you're very good at repressing. Exactly. So when you get into an emotional gridlock like this, that is either time to grow up into your next level of development yeah. or you leave. Yeah. And often people leave nowadays yeah. instead of, or if they stay, it's staying for the children or, yeah. you know, they come up with these Teaching the Implicent children how to have an unhealthy agreements, exactly. <laughs> That's about, what that becomes. Exactly. And my parents are examples of this. I yeah. hope they don't ever hear this, but you know, that they don't challenge each other to be better people. Right. They have implicit agreements with each other and they allow this thing to happen from this one as long as that one supports this thing, you know, so that they just keep each other in this one level of development and stuck. It's really like cutting a part of yourself off and putting it in a grave Mm -hmm. and saying, well, let me see if I can get by without my arm now. Right. But the arm as a metaphor for my ability to get my needs met in the relationship in one way or the other. Right. So, yeah. So when we get into conflict, we often go into a different state, uh, like maybe it's two seven-year-olds now flinging sand at each other. And when that's happening, nothing good can happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so at least one person in the relationship has to stay in their adult self and be willing to do that self-work, Yes, not point the finger at the other one and say, this is what's wrong with you. And if you would just do this, our relationship would be better. Mm -hmm. And that unfortunately is what usually happens. Yeah. I tell people there's basically four things you can do when a relationship's challenged. One, work on yourself. Yep. Two, work on the relationship. Three, Know that if you don't do anything, yesterday equals tomorrow. You right. froze the relationship. Five, get out of the relationship. I mean, uh, four, get out of relationship. There is a five, but it usually doesn't work very well. Let's do one and two together. And the reason I tell people it doesn't work that well is because it takes a lot of energy to do self-work and relationship work. And most people need to do the self-work first because you don't really know who you are. Yes. Therefore, you don't truly know what you want right. until you do the self-work first. So typically, relationship healing is an inside job. It is. And if a person's not willing to invest the time and the energy to get clear about what they need in a relationship, then how do you know what you want except for when you're getting triggered? Right. And then it's an unconscious reaction, not a conscious – it's not food for the – feeding the mill of spiritual personal growth. You can say, okay, this really bothers me when he does that, but what does that mean about me? And that's what no one asks. And, 
you know, wherever you go, there you are. And so if you ditch that relationship before you learn what you were meant to learn from that person who you attracted to you, you're just going to get another version. Yeah. And you're going to repeat the same cycle. And so I always encourage people, don't think too far in the future. You know, you don't have to say, I'm going to stay or I'm going to go, but just stay put, do your work if it's a safe relationship. Obviously, if you're in an abusive relationship, this is all off the table. But, you know, do what probably your soul asked you to do in the first place, yes. do your work. Mm-hmm. And then if the other person's not willing to do theirs, you will grow past them. Mm-hmm. And then the relationship will have expired. Yeah. But, you know, as long as you're being triggered by somebody, that means you have a lot of work to do and they have something to teach you. And the thing is, if you do your own work and the other one doesn't grow, yeah, I find you usually develop the inner strength and clarity to know that your soul go. contract has come to an end yep. and you can let go of it without remorse. You can exactly. say, we had a great journey together. I wish you the best of Thank luck you in for finding being my teacher. the right person for you. I've got to do the same. Right. I love you enough to let you go. Right. Hey, it's been a fantastic interview. I think we're going to have to do this again because I'd I have uh, two pages of very fun, interesting, riveting questions I wanted to get through. You've got to catch an airplane. Where can people find out more or get coaching from you or buy your books or whatever you'd like to share? DrKeisha.com, D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A.com. And, you know, I have an Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program, or you can work with me one-on-one or uh, get the books. So there are many different ways. And you have two books? Mm Mm-hmm. What was the titles again? Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle is right. the first one. And then it has a companion cookbook that is sort of a cookbook that mm-hmm. goes with it. That's really about how to individualize your food plan. Cool. So, yeah. And I'm working on one about what we just talked about today. Fantastic. I'll tell yes. you what, if you send me your books, I'll send you a couple of mine. All right. Perfect. Because I'd I'll love show to you see... yours if you show me mine. Oh, oh well, okay. <laughs> The other way yeah. around. <laughs> Good looking girl like that. I'm going to come out the winner, I think. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, all of you for joining in. I hope you got the key message today. The key message is do your inner work. Don't blame your challenges on your partner. And if you're going to have anal sex, then practice what Dr. Keisha shared with you so it's hygienic and doesn't lead to problems that you both don't want to have to solve. Love you all. Keisha, you're an amazing woman, and keep being the perfect you. I look forward to our next meeting. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dr. Keisha Ewers. You can find Dr. Keisha on Facebook at Dr. Keisha Ewers or visit her website, drkeisha.com, to listen to her Mystic Medicine radio show and find out more information on her programs. Dr. Keisha has a free gift for Living 4D with Paul Check listeners, her 21-day quick start program. You'll get 21 days of ideas, tools, and support for resetting and up-leveling your vitality and energy. Sign up today at drkeisha.com forward slash quick start. That's D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A dot com forward slash quick start. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's blog at checkinstitute.com forward slash blog.